This is Marco Reus and you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hazard needs to look wide. Nico Schultz is there. That's Marco Reus and that's the goal that Dortmund were looking for. He scored in every single one of the last four meetings of the two sides here. Make that five now. Marco Reus. Hello and welcome to episode 297 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Botsko, and today, Matthias and I <laughs> will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 1-0 win against Gladbach and preview the Champions League tie against Inter Milan. And maybe we have a special guest later from Sempre Inter, but I can't promise that. Matthias, hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me on a quick notice. I have to apologize first that uh, I couldn't record a preview for the Gladbach game because first I was sick and didn't have a voice and then uh, I think we had a couple of scheduling issues. So it's good to have you here and that we're both, I guess, in a better mood now that Dortmund have finally won. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be back. Um, yeah, and apologies for me as well. I was at a trade show and it's just all... I was supposed to be home at a specific time and it didn't work because... People didn't show up for work, so I had to cover and do stuff that I'm not paid to do. But hey, that's life sometimes. So um, yeah, I'm glad we can get together and talk a little Gladbach and Inter today. Yes, um, full disclosure, I guess, uh, for people who don't know, you also have a soft spot for Inter. So you know them a little bit better than I do because I don't know them at all. Um, I don't watch Serie A at all. I uh, have better things to do with my life, so um, I'm glad that you can shine a little light on uh, Wednesday's opponent. Um, I think we're recording this before the news conference, so we don't know who is in or out. Uh, please know that. But um, in the meantime, Matthias, this Bundesliga is shaping up to be one of the most exciting um, seasons in a very long time. After eight match days, we have the first and ninth place within two points. That's very exciting. And uh, even more exciting, of course, is that uh, Schalke, who wanted to claim the first spot, lost. So um, that that seems to be a pattern. Whenever they get the chance to go first, they, they lose or, or draw. I think they also drop points against Cologne. So um, I think this was a nice sweetener for us and uh, means also that Gladbach will stay at the top but uh, not by a wide margin. Um, we've briefly talked about the 1-0 win uh, before we started to record. So um, overall, I thought it was a very entertaining and very uh, <laughs> eventful match. So Matthias, where do you want to start? Um, well, I mean, first of all, yeah, the Bundesliga is shaping up. It's a great start. Obviously, it's still early. I expect teams like Freiburg and Frankfurt to not really be there. Uh, for super long Wolfsburg, I'm still trying to figure out what they are and Leverkusen. I just don't think they can, they can hold a form for a long time just because they're so hot and cold at times. Um, but, uh, and, and obviously Schalke having the chance to go top in a moment when they have a chance to go top, if there's one thing you can always count on Schalke, it's, it's a choke job in, in moments like that. But if we look at the, 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 the Borussen duel, 
uh, between Borussia Mönchengladbach and Borussia Dortmund. Uh, it was what you hope a true Topspiel will be in the sense of that it's exciting um, and a two very evenly matched sides, two well-coached sides uh, with plenty of opportunities and, and obviously uh, very tight decisions to go one way or another, which is what you hope for in a, in a top battle. Uh, obviously we kind of fail in that regards when it comes to Bayern, uh, on average, you know, you think it's going to be a big match and then Bayern just come out and steamroll you, uh, with a couple of exceptions over the few years. But, uh, this, this really, uh, fit the bill. I, in my opinion, um, yeah, I know you and I kind of differ on the penalty call, but l- let me give you the penalty. But then I want the offside, and then Dortmund <laughs> still win by a goal, uh, make it 2-1. Uh, so all in all, I will say that uh, obviously we're very biased. So, you know, we'll put that out there. This is a Dortmund podcast, but I think Dortmund deserved the victory. Overall, if you look at the entirety of the match, if you look at the uh, quality of chances given, uh, I also can't forget the, the Hummels header that Zoma directed onto the crossbar. Uh, was an opportunity as well, and, and a few others here and there. Brandt had the first chance in the match, um, where, where Zoma did really well. And Zoma's a very, very good keeper on my fantasy team, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, so all in all, I would say Dalton definitely deserved it. There were a few formational changes I wasn't a huge fan of. Um, you know my opinion on center backs playing fullback. Uh, we've talked about that. A few times over the last few seasons. Uh, I just think the natural tendencies of a center back and the natural tendencies of a fullback don't correlate well. I'm also not happy when fullbacks play center back. They every, they always seem out of position a little bit. Akanji definitely seemed a little bit out of, out of position at times. However, however, the amount of people <laughs> on Twitter that are calling for Akanji, that saying Akanji is bad and Zagadus should replace him, obviously have moved off of the Bürki trolling, but are just as wrong with slating against Akanji and pro Zagadu, which I I just don't see it. I ju- I'm sorry, I don't see it. Um, like they were with Bürki versus Hits or that idiotic discussion. Akanji and Hummels is the best center back pairing Dortmund have. Uh, now that Zula is out, you may even say they could be one of the at least top two or three center back pairings in the Bundesliga. So, um, yeah, let's just, just stop with that. Just stop with the Akanji hate that seems to have propped up the last two match days. Uh, please stop. Well, I mean, they, they do have a point because I do think he is very error prone. And uh, the two chances for Briel Embolo were both his own making. The one was, uh, I think, an, a header without any opponent pressure straight into midfield. I don't know if it was Sulastro Benes or, or who it was, but, uh, uh, you know, instantly Embolo popped up in front of Burki, who then made a he- heroic save. And then the uh, next situation, I think, was an undercooked pass pass back to Burki, which was almost intercepted. So um, I think he is very error-prone, and I think there there is a point to playing Weigel and Hummels together in midfield. I thought that Weigel at centre-back had a very good game. I thought that his uh, pass distribution was excellent and uh, really had 
in so far because Gladbach had the plan to shut down Hummels, Hummels as good as they could, but uh, that didn't work so well because Weigel was there to uh, yeah play the ball out of the back quite quick, cleanly and, and also very vertically, so that really helped. And uh, I agree with you in so far that I don't think you should play centre-back as a right-back. Akanji has played as a full-back a couple of times before and wasn't, it's not too bad, but I think that maybe if you need to play a right-back, then maybe try at Moray if you want to play Hakimi in midfield. Um, I really want to see what he can do. Obviously, this was a top game and uh, maybe not the occasion to try it out, but... I don't know. I, I just would like to see where he is, at what level he is, what, what he can do, what he can provide. Um, but yeah, if you actually have right backs available, and I think Lucas Pischek was available too, then uh, play him over a Kanji at right back. That's just my opinion. Um, I. Oh, and I agree. I, think, I, I totally I agree. Think, I think Favre has a point of not playing a Kanji at center back, but. Uh, then I think you don't have to play him as a right back. I think there are better options simply. Um, and, I'll, and, I'll, I think and I'll disagree on the center back. I think Akanji is one of the best in the Bundesliga. Yeah, he had a bad match at, out of position. Um, but if you look at the body of his work over the last, this season and last season, uh, extremely good. Um, yeah, he's slightly error prone, but honestly, I don't think any more error prone than Mats Hummels half of the time. Uh, Hummels, you know, he's, he's available for a mistake when you call him. Um, but, and with, with defenders, those mistakes do get accentuated. I completely disagree. I think the best center back pairing is Hummels and Akanji by a mile. Well, I don't, I feel like the, the synergy between the two is, is not great. I, I have to disagree there a little bit. I'm not, uh, I'm not too stoked with the Akanji Hummels center back pairing. I think, on on paper it would be fantastic, but I feel like the way it plays out in the game, I just feel like the uh, the communication between the two isn't isn't good enough. I feel like the the chemistry somehow is absent, which surprises me. But it's it's just in in the details, like uh, you know the the offside line, for example. This is something that that just they just can't get together. You know, to often Akanji or, or Hummels or whoever is, is keeping. A player on side, um, Idris Akanji, who just doesn't move up quickly enough. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll, I'll damp my enthusiasm, but I'm at least hopeful that they can turn it around. Nevertheless, Dortmund kept a clean sheet. Um, and when you talk about uh, Hummels being there for an error, usually the foul on Patrick Herrmann, I think it was, would have been a huge and very consequential error because in my book it was a clear penalty. I think it came in the 72nd minute, just basically the first play after Marvin Hitz got subbed on. And Hummels, well, uh, Hermann wanted to take a shot from very close range, just uh, kicked Hermann's heels away from, from behind. And uh, I assumed this would have maybe even yielded in the red card. I'm not sure how the rules are by now if uh, because obviously another player would have been around in, in Marvin Hitz. So maybe it would have just been a yellow card. But um, yeah, if it were a red card, that obviously would have had big implications for Saturday's Revier Derby. So um, I'm kind of glad that VAR screwed the one up because it would have been uh, very difficult for Dortmund to to get back in the game, I think. Um, 
we've seen Dortmund once they take the lead, you know, flick the switch and then sort of uh, be very conservative or whatever you want to call it. But they they rarely manage to to flip it around and and go on the attack again afterwards. So um, I'm I'm very re really excited that <laughs> Gladbach didn't manage to to get a deserved penalty there. Um, but you said you disagree. Why why do you think it wasn't a penalty? I just didn't think it was. It was one of those where, in my opinion, it wasn't quite as clear and obvious. Um, given just the the run of play, it's it's one of those typical ones where people will say, "I've seen him given, I've seen him not given." Uh, whenever I hear, "I've seen him given," and "I've seen him not given," in my opinion, should always be not given. Um, <laughs> if, if, if there is a doubt in your mind, then don't give it. It's kind of like, if there's a doubt in your mind, don't, don't give a guilty, guilty verdict. And, and it brings me right back to the Togan Azad goal, which in my opinion was a goal. I don't, I know they're saying, as you mentioned before the pause, I, I said, I looked at it over and over and over again. I just can't see the clear offsides. Uh, you had mentioned that they said it was the, Michael Royce's heel. Um, you know, I'll be honest, uh, it, it's not, uh, it's not clear. I, I looked at it multiple times. I couldn't see it as a clear offside. Um, and as such, I think the goal should have stood, but you, you said that they, I can't remember to say they didn't have a calibrated line to work with. Well, well, to be honest, I, I don't know for sure. That's only what I heard from the Rasenfunk because they've discussed it. And I, I assume that's what they have, uh, set on on sky uh, because i right now being in the united states only get to watch on fox so um <laughs> i uh i don't know too much about it but i've heard that they only had the calibrated lines available so please take it with a pinch of salt i, I couldn't independently confirm it but um which makes it even more egregious if that is true because um I mean that they stopped the the frame where they thought uh, Mats Hummel's header or so was played And, uh, maybe Marco Royce's heel is offside by one pixel or so. It's very hard to tell. To me, it's, it's, it's basically impossible to say whether that's offside or not. Um, because A, where do you freeze the image, uh, and the frame? So if it's really, I don't know, down to, let's say two or three centimeters, it's very tough, especially if you, do not have the calibrated lines, then uh, I thought this goal should have counted, especially from a very biased standpoint, <laughs> because uh, it was nice to see Torgen Hazard celebrate as he did, uh, very euphorically uh, scoring his first goal for Dortmund, and uh, he didn't seem to care that it was against his former club. Um, so that would have just been a very nice story for him, but uh, yeah, The offside call that obviously robbed the the entire yeah moment, and it's also another thing that that really annoys me is a um it's it's really a big downside in, in football that uh, you know the whole moment of celebration is sort of ruined, and then uh, of course, especially in the Bundesliga, they just stand around. And you have to watch the players con being confused and the referee holding his his ear instead of. Um, they're, them offering the TV images or the, the review images on TV and in, in the stadium on, on the video screens. I think this should be mandatory 
and to make it more transparent. So the the fact that you do not see what the VAR sees is is just really really annoying and and just a very bad practice and should not be happening in 2019 i mean i've said this before i've complained about it before but for the life of me i just can't understand why they just don't why they don't do it um i i agree it's like most most stadiums in the bundesliga yeah. are capable of of showing the replay i mean i've heard i think on you and berlin or so uh i'm not capable of, to to show it in a way that everyone in the same sees it but it doesn't matter. Um, just show it on as many screens as you can. I think in, in uh, the uh, Olympia Stadion, in, in, I think they also only have one big video screen. But I think if you want, you, you can create another one somewhere if, if need be. But the, the point is most stadiums are equipped with the technology and then please just freaking do it. I mean, uh, there's there's no reason not to do it. It's just makes people more frustrated and, and ruins the experience even more so. So, um, I mean, all the uh, opponents of VAR, I think, always had the point that it sort of ruins a part of football for the sake of, of uh, making it more just. And uh, obviously, VAR, at least in the Bundesliga, doesn't always achieve it because I still think they, they get a couple of calls right or or just you know, oversee clear situations. I, I can uh, point out the uh, handball of Ivan Perisic in that free kick against Schalke that should have been a clear penalty, for example. So um, there would there have been many shots um, where VAR should have intervened. I, I think uh, Joshua Kimmich should have seen a red card um, when he stemmed Jane Sancho's foot and all that. So... Um, I mean, I'm an unapologetic, 100% proponent proponent of VAR. Um, I would rather have the right call than the wrong call for the whole emotion. I did air quotes because that helps on a podcast. Um, <laughs> behind it, uh, I could I could give two shits about that to be honest, um, because the emotion of getting screwed. Uh, yeah, that I'm not for that ever. Ever. And I remember when VAR was being implemented, people was like, oh, it takes away the debate of the game. I think we can agree that that's not the case. No, uh, it no, definitely I, doesn't. I still have that, that ringing oh, from yeah. Franz Beckenbauer, whoever yeah. said that. So, yeah. It's, it's stupid. I mean, I'll be honest. I agree with you. The, the They should show it. Like in the NFL, if you're in the stadium, you can see what the ref sees. You see it. You see the call. You see what they're looking at. Um, and outside of the city of Berlin, apparently, uh, you should be able to see it as well. Uh, maybe they have that extra screen next to the Berlin airport. Um, it's just missing, but it, it just, uh, I'm a hundred percent for it. I think it should stay. I don't think it, it detracts at all from the sport. If it's implemented properly, I think, uh, they're still working out the kinks in a few years, only the constant belly aching complainers, which uh, we do have one or two of in Germany, um, uh, will. Uh, other than that, it's just going to be part of the game, and no one's really going to give a crap, and and you'll just get used to it. Um, and so, you know, the hearkening back, oh, we want the wrong decisions because we want the emotion of the goal. Ah, screw that. Uh, I want to make sure that your team doesn't get screwed. The problem is when VAR fails and your team does get screwed. And I feel like it did in this case with the offside call. And maybe you can make the argument with the penalty kick. And that's why I said, uh, I'll give you the penalty if you give me the offside. Uh, and then it's still a one goal win for Dortmund. So overall, 
you know, uh, let's let's just chalk it up to VAR uh, robbing two goals one way or another, uh, or the false implementation or the the just weird implementation uh, of it. I also honestly on the offside, I don't understand why the referee didn't go look at it. Uh, if there was, if it was that marginal, uh, if it's that marginal, if it's not clear and obvious, then just go with what the ref said. That is how it was always proposed. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's not really implemented that way, but hey, you know, um, I think, I think I've never seen the ref go to the sideline for an offside call. I think he's just doing that for, for penalties or, or red card fouls where there's more room for interpretation because usually an offside call is just very clear. Yeah, usually they, it they, is they or it isn't. They pick a frame and then, then evaluate whether there's offside or not. That's just how it works. Yeah, it's, it either it usually either is or it isn't. In my case, this time it isn't. Uh, and they just got it wrong for the reasons that you had already explored. But again, uh, Dortmund did get a victory by one goal. So if we balance it out, uh, really nothing has changed except for the amount, of, except now we have a clean sheet to talk about. Yes, and uh, I would say we have to talk about a couple of brighter performance. For example, I thought that um, Julian Brandt had a better game than than he had before at, at the Westfalen Stadion. Um, obviously, we all remember his uh, special performance against Cologne. But I thought, uh, you know, playing once again more as a striker in that four four two system next to Marco Reus, I thought he... Had a better game than before. Um, and also I thought one of the best players on the, on the pitch for Dortmund was actually Torgen Hazard. So, um, this, this game overall might have been a little bit of a preview for what is to come when Dortmund both lose Jane Central and Mario Götze, which could happen, uh, at the end of the season because Götze, I don't see him extending his contract, to be honest. And, uh, Jane Chancel, Jane Central, Jesus can't pronounce his name today. Uh, was obviously suspended for being one day too late from the uh, international break, returning from uh, the three lines. So um, he was suspended by Favre, but uh, I don't, I don't see this being a, a big issue. Um, the good news is that Jane Sancho is a very humble guy usually, and uh, I think Michel Zorg said that he is testing out his boundaries. But uh, yeah. It's it's not going to evolve into a Dembele-like situation or anything like that. I just think uh, he he's 19 years old and makes a couple of mistakes here and there, but it's not like he is uh, not with both feet firmly on the ground. So I'm not worried about Jane Sancho or this issue persisting, so I think we can move past it. So, um, Matthias, how did you see the performances of, of Brandt and, and Torgen Hazard? It was good to see them both on the pitch at the same time, uh, playing very, very well. I mean, essentially both of them kind of got a goal, <laughs> uh, but then, then didn't. Uh, I, I liked the positioning. I liked, uh, Brandt's role. I think he did really, really well. Um, I, I was very positive. Not, obviously none of us were surprised. This is what we wanted. We were surprised that it kind of took a while, but really you shouldn't be surprised because it takes a while to get embedded with the side. It's only been, uh, a total of what is it now? Eleven competitive matches um, with cup and Champions League and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's it's good to see bodes well for the future and it shows the depth because when you first say okay, no Sancho, no Götze, because Götze um, had had the flu, you go hmm, and no Paco. No, Paco. So you're like okay, where, where are the limitations on an attacking side? 
and you saw there really weren't any, especially if you move Hakimi into that that wing position, uh, which kind of uh, dampens or not dampens, but uh, mitigates his at times defensive frailties. Um, but uh, no, overall, very very good, positive for the future. I'm I'm not quite as negative as you are about uh, Gutza extending his contract because I honestly thought Guerrero was gone. And was wrong with that. You know, he extended his oh, contract. Oh, yeah, we so. actually did discuss it. That, yeah. He did extend his contract. Correct. Now, till so, 2023, uh, I believe. Um, yes. And so there's still plenty of time for Mario Götze to extend his contract. It looks like he's just in that same position he was a year ago of getting back into form. He missed the match because of um, the flu, but uh, he did travel to Milan, if I remember correctly. Um, and as did Sancho, Royce did not, but that's that's for in a couple of minutes to talk about. So I've, I'm not quite as, as negative about it yet. Uh, ask me again around Christmas. It was a pretty convincing performance until the, uh, let's say, 75th minute or so. And, and this is something I, I guess, once again, need to discuss a little bit. Um, not, not too much because Lars and I ranted plenty about it in the last episode. Whenever Dortmund take the lead, something happens that I cannot comprehend. I wasn't aware of the st- statistic of Understat that shows the expected goals, um, that you have. Uh, what, why are you one goal up, one goal down, or when the score is level? And the average goals against per 90 minutes for Dortmund when they are one goal up is 3.21. Just think about that for a minute. I know Underset is a very, their, their model is, is a bit extreme, so maybe other portals have it, you know, the, the number is a bit more reduced, but it still should go about three goals on average that Dortmund concede when they've taken the lead. If they play a whole game like they play when they're 1-0 up, they, they concede three goals. And uh, I don't think they, they score many. So um, just think about that for a minute, what that means. The, the implication that uh, Dortmund play so poorly, defense so atrociously that they would concede three goals with that playing style and that has my alarm bells ringing i mean they rung before but now just knowing how how bad it is on a on a factual number basis um yeah it just makes my toenails curl up to be honest it's just ugh. I, I'll be honest. I'm surprised you're surprised. I mean, this is Lucien Favre. This is what he well, does. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not surprised. Okay. I'm shocked. Well, I, I'm shocked. To, to me, it's uh, it's Lucien Favre. It's what you get with him. He is conservative. He is, um, uh, well, because cautious. Let's put it that way. Um, I mean, you can be conservative in your approach, yet not necessarily be overly cautious. Uh, he is very, very cautious. And the problem that don't want have uh, is the team isn't constructed. This isn't Burnley. This isn't Darmstadt. Uh, this isn't even Union Berlin, where it's a side that's trying to be constructed in a way that it plays that way. And then you're able to do that. That's not Dortmund. That's not how they're constructed. That's not their mental DNA. Um, as how these players want to play, how they are trained to play, what they are wanting to, to play. We don't have Martin Stranzel as a central defender. 
um, who's a very limited overall player, but a very excellent straight-up defender when sitting deep. That's what Favre had at Gladbach when he was there. He had the players that played that way. Hummels isn't that way. Hummels is a risk-taker. Akanji is a risk-taker. Weigel isn't even really a center-back. Um you know our fullbacks yeah, what, what was the what was the center back pairing at, at um, was it Dante and Stranzel Yeah Dante uh, Stranzel was there and then after Dante went to Bayern I forget who he had next to him another old dude but but in that same same vein you know not overly athletic not overly passy not big range not moving forward I mean there's a reason why Pep Guardiola was really quick to get rid of Dante because he obviously isn't he's not a Matsumas type player he's not a Weigel or you know say what you want about a Kanji I again we already talked about that but still these are more offensive minded players even the ones ahead of them if you look at it, if you have Vincent and Delaney Delaney isn't a sit deep kind of guy he's your stereotypical box-to-box aggressive player so he'll push out and and challenge that's not what you can do if you're trying to play in that Burnley-esque style and that for me is the big problem Lucien Favre you don't have the team to play that way at that point he had it at Gladbach he had it at Nice He had it at Hertha. He doesn't have it at Dortmund. This is a team that plays on the front foot. They are constructed that way. They are not constructed to play deep. And when you ask them, if you ask someone to do something that they are not trained to do, that is not, not that they're not capable of doing it. I mean, overall, they're capable because of the amount of points you have and stuff like that. But that that's not who they are. You know, it's like asking me to work in a restaurant. That is not who I am and I will not do well versus someone who loves to work in a restaurant. I know it's a very odd analogy I'm going with here, but just, just <laughs> stay with me here for a second. It's not going to work. That's flat out the truth. And uh, even if you put in a Zagadou, Zagadou isn't that kind of guy because he's still very, very raw. Uh, Balerdi, Moray, all these players are trained also in a way. They are defenders, but they're trained to play on the front foot. Look at the teams they came from. Barcelona, Boca. They're, they're not PSG at Zagadou. They are not trained in a way. They're always going to be the dominant side. So play like the fucking dominant side and quit wussing out in the last 20 minutes. Now you got me ranting. I wasn't planning on ranting today, but it, it just, it, it's annoying. It's an organic rant. It's an organic, I just, I built myself up to this. I was very neutral in the beginning, very, very, you know, <laughs> and then there we go. But that's, that's just my opinion. I am not surprised. It's not going to change. I'm telling you people, get used to this. That's simply the way it's going to go and under Lucien Favre. He will not change. This team is constructed the way they are and deal with it. Deal with it. You know, don't Twitter rant about it. It's not going to change anything. Just accept <laughs> that the last 20 minutes, if we are up, that we will play this way and that it will look shaky. It will look ugly. And at times we will concede. And at times we will play a two-all draw, even on unlucky own goals that it's hard to blame anybody for that. But the momentum of the match shifts in a way that that can happen. Uh, that won't happen if you're playing on the front foot nine times out of ten. Whereas when Dortmund is chasing result in the last 20 minutes, they look like a completely dominant side because they're playing on the front foot. But this is what will happen with Lucien Favre. Just deal with it, live with it, at least for this season. I have, I accept it because there's nothing I could change about it. I'm not happy about it, obviously, like the last five minutes are showing. 
Um, but it's just the way it is. That's who you get. And that's why I was not enamored with the hiring when it was first talked about when we got Bush. And that's why I like Bush more, even though it was psycho football half the time. But at least Altman played on the front foot. And that's what I prefer to see. And Favre is kind of like a little bit better than Stöger because he actually does do some stuff offensively. So not to completely uh, uh, eviscerate the man. He's obviously a very nice man and knows a lot. He's very intelligent and stuff like that. But it's just not, it's not going to work or it's not going to change. This is just the way it is going to be as long as he is the manager. They are not going to change the manager during the course of the season unless shit really gets real, but it won't. It'll just be good enough to get, you know, I mean, who knows? Dolma could still win the Bundesliga because it's such an incredibly inconsistent <laughs> top nine at this point, which is great. People are complaining, oh, the Bundesliga got so poor because nobody can string three wins together. This is what we've been wanting for like 15 years. So shut up and just enjoy the inconsistency because it makes every match day exciting, meaningful, and interesting. So anyway, I got to take a sip of water now. Anyway, so... uh to add to that, Lucien Favre ended this game with six out-and-out -out defenders on the pitch because he brought on Nanaxi Zagadou and then Lukas Piszczek. And of course, uh, I mean, there were six or five minutes added of stoppage time because uh, Marvin Hitz took a very long time to put his gloves on uh, when he, he got subbed on. Uh, but nevertheless um that is to me just unacceptable in, in two ways a the substitutions you make you know this whole just trying to defend the wall off as much as you can just doesn't make any sense to me as as you previously discussed and i previously discussed in the last episode and b it's just like uh you have so much depth on that bench you have rafael guerrero who just extended his contract for example uh so i i feel you could be a little bit more impulsive with your decision making of, of the bench and bring someone maybe in the 60th minute or 65th or 70th minute to give this team an impulse that you're trying to fucking win and add the same goal and not, you know, <laughs> just retreat. I, I mean, come on. Uh, anyway, I don't can I play devil's advocate real quick? Devil's advocate here in the sense of if you want to be a little bit more conservative, and I've got the, the formation in front of me right now on my computer screen, and who was still on the bench. If you want to be a little bit more conservative, fine. Okay. Bring on Pishik for Akanji who is struggling. That gives you a little bit more you'd be a little bit more solid. If you, if you want to take... I wasn't struggling that much in the second no, half, No, no, of course. But overall, if you're like, ah, oh, we want to be a little bit more defensive or whatever, bring on Piszczek, have him be less expressive. If you want to take off Azad and Brandt, you have two players that are attack-minded, but a little bit more defense-minded and will work defensively like Brun Larsen and Guerrero. Bring them on. So you're a little bit more conservative, but you still have the attacking impulses. He just completely gutted the side of attacking impulses outside of Royce and Hakimi, who is a trained fullback. So it just, you know, whatever. I, I already ranted long enough. Well, the thing also is uh, Marco Royce was playing with a flu, apparently. And uh, the German Twitter account created a little shitstorm by thanking him for his heroics to put his service into, uh, uh, you know, to 
to give his service for the team or whatever. Uh, and people were not very happy about it because, uh, you know, this can lead to serious diseases. So, um, and it's just very irresponsible because there will be other people who think, oh, Marco Royce can play with the flu. So can I. And, um, yeah. So, um, that, that being said, but then Marco Royce doesn't have to play the full freaking minutes. Uh, you know, you can, you can change and, and bring him out as well. So, uh, even if you bring on Jakub Brunlassen or whatever, um, just, uh, yeah, give him a break. And I think now he's out for, for the inter game. Is that correct? So, yeah, I don't, that's I, I don't know. We, we often discuss the substitutions. I'm not very happy with them most of the time. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Let, let's just be happy that Dortmund won this game. Um, all, albeit with a big chunk of luck and also big chunk of misfortune because they also could have won higher. It's a bit, uh, yeah, contradictory, but, uh, yeah, you know, with a bit more luck. Julian Brandt would have made it to nothing in the, what was it, 84th minute. And, uh, then we wouldn't have had this discussion because we would have been happy that Dortmund were able to add another goal and not have an utter shit show until the very end. So, yeah, I mean, to trust you, me, people that are listening, yes, we ranted, we complained, but overall, we're very happy with three points and the fact that yes. Schalke <laughs> lost. I mean, you know, I mean, this is, at times we're nitpicking a little bit, but that's okay because of the quality of the side and, and we expect more in certain situations, but we're very happy with the victory. Okay. Against a good side with one of the best managers in the Bundesliga. Um, so, this is still a quality win that Dortmund it's deserved to win. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, um, uh, you know, it's, it's complaining at the highest levels, uh, kind of a thing. That was a very bad translation of a German saying, yes. but you, you know what I'm saying. Um, but anyway, Dortmund won. They deserve to win overall, like we said. Um, but again, it, it could have been a little bit. I don't a little bit more a little bit less shaky at times. I mean the thing is these two sides will meet again in two weeks in the in the DFB Pokal and I'm very interested to see how this game will pan out because I assume Marco Rosa will you know have a lot of takeaways and I wonder if Lucien Favre also will be able to adjust. So that's going to be a very intriguing match. In, in two weeks time but of course before we move on to the Champions League the curse of the 2-2 has left Dortmund finally but uh, it has befallen another side in the Bundesliga and that was Bayern Munich who in Augsburg in the last minute or so uh, conceded a goal and uh, I think even more importantly they lost one of their most important players Niklas Süle with an ACL which is obviously horrible, but I think he will be out for the rest of the season or at least most parts of it. Um, I mean, we can discuss the, the, uh, 2 2 draw for Bayern. I think, um, there's the symptoms very, very similar to, to what Dortmund sometimes have that they just couldn't finish their own chances and then concede, concede the goal in, in the fashion that Augsburg like to score their goals. But, um, more importantly, I think, um, Matthias, what do you think the implications are for Bayern losing Niklas Süle for a very extended time, at least the, the end of the Hinrunde, which is, uh, I think, nine more games? 
Yeah, I mean, I've also heard reports that he's done for the season. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, sorry, uh, I, I I misspoke. What I meant is they will not be able to replace him by the uh, until okay. the end of yeah. the window because I've read rumors that they are trying to get Samuel MTT from Barcelona. So, um, so apparently they are trying to get a replacement because he's probably done for the year or for the season. Yeah, I mean, they're probably regretting the decision of selling Matsumans at this point. Pretty badly. Um, and, uh, obviously Löw is getting a lot of flack as he should. Uh, can't wait to see Ginta and Ta together all the time. Uh, well, Ginta is injured too. Oh, okay. So it's Ta and Ta. So anyway, uh, but that's, that's, I don't, who gives a crap anymore? Um, but, uh, it's, this is, this is kind of what we talked about before the season is that, uh, Bayern have adult word as Dortmund have a rather large squad. Um, at a lot of depth, Bayern really don't, and and we talked about it. I mean, they're going to have to switch around who plays where. Um, you know, I don't think Ko- Kovac isn't Pep Guardiola, but Kovac isn't an idiot. Uh, so I'm sure he can come up with solutions and players that have played in central defense, be it a Kimmich, be it an, you know an Alaba or anybody like that. Um, so I think they'll be okay depending on who they play against. I don't know what their schedule is right now. Um, but they, they are very, very thin now, um, in, in defensive position. I know there was also scared during the international break when it came to Lewandowski. And imagine if they would have lost Lewandowski long term and Zule, uh, within a two week period. Uh, then the complexion of Bayern all of a sudden changes rather dramatically. Um, I still think it's Bayern. I still think they'll be okay. Uh, it's very unlucky for Zule. Uh, who, uh, as far as Bayern players goes, isn't necessarily one you hate on. <laughs> uh, at least not me personally. Um, so it's, it's, it's a shame for him. Also, cause he, there's a good chance he's going to miss the European Championships, uh, which isn't good for him or Germany. But, uh, it, it was nice to see Dortmund not being the only team to play dominantly and then not win at the end just because they couldn't put away their chances and then just, a momentary lapse of concentration leading to an undeserved draw um, overall. But, you know, the results are what they are. Uh, and that's good because two teams that could have jumped to the top of the table and Bayern and Schalke, probably the two teams we desperately don't want to see at the top of the table uh, behind <laughs> Leipzig, who also has been inconsistent the last few weeks, uh, make for a very, very entertaining Bundesliga season. It's almost like things have re- uh, changed around. You know, when Dortmund dropped points, everybody else could have really distanced themselves from Dortmund and didn't. Um, and, or when Bayern drop points or Leipzig drop points and then Schalke could have jumped to the top after Gladbach losing and they couldn't do it because it's Schalke. Um, uh, that, uh, was, is nice to see overall for the Bundesliga, not just as a Dortmund fan. I think the best news for Dortmund really is that, uh, with all the poor results is that they are now level on points with Bayern and Leipzig. And the bad news for Dortmund is that, I think right now they should be five or six points ahead of the pack, to be honest, uh, because Bayern aren't really playing all that way. Well, um, Leipzig played really great, but then sort of tailed off. So, um, I, I think, um, the, uh, the Bundesliga will be decided in, in the second half of the season. Um, I, we, we all know the best that Dortmund blew a nine point lead. Um, so maybe, uh, 
if Dortmund can turn things around or, or pick up the consistency in the second half of the season will be more vital than, than getting all the results now, to be honest. And uh, this is still a phase where Lucien Favre is very much trying to find uh, his mojo with the team. Um, he's still tinkering around a lot. I mean, we now have Hakimi midfield. We have a double center forward duo of Royce and Brandt. I don't think that was really the plan. But here we are now, so um, a lot of things are still being uh, moved around. Um, and the, the best news I have to say is when I look at the table is I see Dortmund have conceded 11 goals after eight match days, which isn't great. But um, also not great is that Bayern have conceded 10 goals. And usually that is the big difference between the two teams that Bayern concede uh, significantly fewer goals than Dortmund. And seeing them just one goal, uh, you know, have, having con conceded one fewer goals than Dortmund is that, that is a very encouraging stat for Dortmund fans. Um, Leipzig have eight and Wolfsburg have only conceded five. I think that's the secret of their success. So, um, maybe Wolfsburg are the team that, that's there to stay in the top four. I don't know. Um, um, as, as you, I'm still trying to, uh, you know, find out why why Wolfsburg are so good but I've I've seen them against Leipzig and I have to say they are also a very balanced team and they have an absolute uh, superb striker with Walt Bakos up front who can just put a lot of uh, half chances away so um yeah but Wolfsburg are very solid and, and built on on a good defense so um what what they do is they force their opponents to a lot of crosses with uh, the coach Oliver Glasner and then they have uh, in their backline excellent players to deal with that so um, this I think you you even saw against Leipzig you usually always want to play through the center um, the the only big chance through the center is the one they scored and that was I think a uh, long ball by by goalkeeper Peter Gulashi and then um, Timo Werner put it away but um, yeah it's impressive how Wolfsburg managed to force opponents to play on the wing, which is especially funny in the context that Wolfsburg usually were the team for many, many years who had only one attack. And that was basically just over the wings and cross it into the box and, and, and pray. And now they forced opponents to do the same. As we all know, um, crosses are the most inefficient way to, to try to create a chance. So, um, it makes perfect sense for them to play that well. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how they, uh, will, will fare now. Dortmund will play them in, in a few weeks. So this will be a very interesting match too. But I think we have talked enough about the Bundesliga. Um, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how the picture will look next week after match day nine, especially after the Revere Derby. So, um, but we will record a special podcast about that. And now I think it's time to finally discuss. <laughs> Wednesday, Wednesday's game at the Giuseppe Meazza Stadium, the San Siro, uh, where Dortmund travel to Inter Milan. Group F, Dortmund right now on four points, just as many as Barcelona have, and Slavia Prague and Inter are sharing one point. So this is a must-win game for Inter Milan. Um, does this mean Dortmund play from the get-go like they are one goal up, Matthias, and then concede three because that's how they play? No, I you know I don't think they're they're going to play quite that cautiously as far as trying to defend. I th I do expect them to gladly give Inter possession, which um, 
you know, if you look at just the last match against Sassuolo, Inter aren't necessarily a possession-hungry side per se uh, at times. Um, I think uh, they'll play, you know, on the counter, which works when when things get open. But here's the thing. Inter are having a pretty good season under Antonio Conte. They are a point behind Juve with a better goal difference. But, you know, when you look at the Sassuolo match where they're up 4-1, uh, they ended up winning 4-3. But Sassuolo were very impressive. And overall, uh, I think Inter were lucky to win that match. Overall, uh, Sassuolo could have deserved the draw. Um, and the reason why, it's just full disclosure, the reason why I'm an Inter fan is because as a child, lived many years in, in Milan. And, you know, my brother became an AC Milan supporter. And naturally, I became an Inter supporter, uh, which only became stronger in the 80s, given the influx of German players going to Inter uh, versus Dutch players at Milan and, and that kind of rivalry from the 80s. But um, Inter playing much, much better now under Conte than they did in previous seasons more consistently. Uh, it's also seen a rebirth of the much maligned at Manchester United Romelu Lukaku. Lukaku, who's been playing very, very well. Otaro Martinez playing very well. Def yeah, I was going to ask you, does mm -hmm. uh, Lukaku's... Um <laughs> rebirth. <laughs> uh, does this have to do with Lautaro Martinez being in there because they uh, complement each other? Oh, absolutely. I think it's a, a matter of having the right manager because Antonio Conte is not Jose Mourinho or Ole Gunnar And having a partner that helps him in that way that Lautaro Martinez, who is significantly more, I'm not going to say more athletic, but I think you know what I mean. Um Whereas uh, Lukaku is that stronger presence of central central striker, center forward, whereas Martinez could kind of play off of him a little bit uh, with a little bit more speed and skill at, at times. It just opens teams up. You combine the fact that you've got some good wingbacks in there, whether it's Kandreva or Lazaro. Um, and then, of course, defensively, Inter are very, very sound. Handanovic is still one of the best keepers in this area. Uh, Skriniar, Defray, they also have Godin, who everybody knows is just a solid defender and very seasoned coming in from Atletico. Um, he, he didn't play against Sassuolo, which is okay, I think, at this time in his career and given his age. You kind of pick who you play, and if you've got Sassuolo and then Dortmund, a few days later, you say, okay, Godin, with your age, we'll rest you against Sassuolo, maybe play you against Dortmund. Uh, it's not going to be an easy match at all for Dortmund. Um, I, I, I think uh, Inter overall, and I haven't seen as many matches as I usually do just because I've been so crazy busy in September. Um, there's still slight inconsistencies at time, uh, which I think Dortmund can exploit. I think, I think this is a very well poised match for something that could be very entertaining and interesting. I don't expect it to be a goal fest per se. Um, cause Antonio Conte, I think I obviously I rate Conte above Favre as far as managers go, given his resume overall. Um, but I think this, this is actually a match that Dortmund could do well in, in more that counterattacking mentality and giving Inter more possession. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's going to be very, very, very difficult. I don't necessarily see Dortmund winning this match, to be honest. Yeah, my, my prediction is, is a 1-1 for this game. 
Um, and, and you are right, uh, Inter are only sixth in possession, uh, in Serie A, so they are not the most possession hungry team in Italy. Um, I assume it's helpful that Alexis Sanchez is out with an injury. Um, I don't know about you, but I assume that he's, uh, you know, a very big player for them. Or is he not? Again, I haven't watched that much of them play with Alexis Sanchez. You know, for him, for me, for him, if I look at all, all the last seasons and, and including his time at Inter that I've seen so far, it's just such a hot and cold player. And I, and you never know who's going to show up on a day. He could be world class or he can be an absolute waste of space. Um, and so right. I, I guess it's then a question that I reserve for, uh, Nima Taveli, who will be uh, with us in the, in the segment later. Yes. Because I just yes. scheduled the, uh, The court. So, um, yeah, there will be more intercontent after this. So <laughs> I have to, to keep my powder dry and not ask all the questions to, you know, Matthias. So, uh, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, all about transparency. I, I do it on the fly. <laughs> no, and Nima will definitely be the, the, um, more dedicated source to talk about this than I am because obviously that's what he does, kind of like what we do for Tom when he does for Inter and he does an incredibly good job. So, uh, can't, Cannot find a better guest to talk about Inter than him. All right. So um, you have seen who uh, is uh, going to um, Milan and not. I think Ronachichten have posted the squad somewhere, but I don't have it on my screen. But uh, Marco Royce certainly is absent. Um, meanwhile, uh, Mario Götze is, I think he traveled with the team, right? He did, so, yes. So As did um, Sancho. As it's central, yeah, of course it's central. Um, so how do you think Favre will um, play with the absence of Marco Royce? Because we haven't seen that too many times this season. Um, so how do you think um, uh, Favre uh, will deal with that? Uh, did they say anything about Paco Alcacer? Is he fit to go or is he still out for the match? I know Roman Burki traveled, so it looks like Burki's going to play. Just thank God. Um <laughs> So, depending on who else is fit and not fit, I would expect to see Sancho back in the side. Um, I don't expect necessarily Gutsu to start because he's coming off of the flu and Al having... Alcasa is still out. Alcasa is still out. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if you see Sancho on one wing And then Azard possibly playing more centrally with Brandt as kind of that false nine type position. Uh, maybe alternating a little bit there and bringing in Guerrero on the left hand side on the wing. And it would, I also wouldn't be shocked to see Brun Larson for whatever hell reason. Um, but uh, that's, I, I could conceivably see that. Um, transpiring there and then maybe putting Hakimi back. But again, he may play Hakimi on the wing again and uh, Gutsa starts despite him being sick because obviously having the flu is not necessarily always a reason to not play. Um, so yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Royce, uh, Royce flu got worse. Um, so this is why he can't play. Um, I I wonder why it's almost like it was cold and rainy and that's I I think that's not good for the flu. I don't know, Matthias. I'm I I never get sick, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, 
Sebastian Kehl, I think he actually was asked about the um, this one tweet that I mentioned previously on on the show, and he said that oh we we know what we're doing, we are very responsible, and now he's out with more cold. So there you go. Anyway, um, yeah, I I don't I don't know. I I assume Dortmund will play with the similar double pivot. I also assume that Weigel will play a center back again, but I'm not sure. The thing is, Lucien Favre has a lot of options, and um, I would hope that there is some rotation ahead of the Rivier Derby. If there's any player that needs a break to perform at his full potential on Saturday, please, for the love of God, rest that guy. I don't, I don't care uh, about the Champions League. It's not as important as the Rivier Derby. So, um, well, please. well, in all honesty, Dortmund could afford to lose to Inter. And still everything is wide open in the group. A loss to Schalke, aside from the obvious psychological aspect of the pressure mounting, then the fan base being unhappy given what happened in the last Revier Derby, uh, but also just how tight the Bundesliga is. You can't give ground to another potential title candidate, even though they won't win, um, (laughs) in Schalke. Uh, I would also prioritize um, the the Revier Derby over the match against Inter um, for, for all of those reasons. Yes. Um, so this is, this is, uh, I think I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page here that, uh, that the Revier Derby is, is way more important than whatever happens at the San Siro. And uh, I assume uh, the, the toughest away match is already behind Dortmund because I think uh, obviously they they still have to travel to the Camp Nou, but uh Slavia Prague made it really, really tough for Dortmund and they, they won there. So, um, what I've seen with Inter is that they really get in trouble when you put pressure on them when, when you get into their faces. And I don't know how much pace they have, but I assume that, uh, if, if Dortmund are a bit more on the front foot, they, they can actually take away a point or, or, or three. Um, because we've seen Slavia do to Inter. So I don't see why Dortmund couldn't. Just to press them a little bit higher. Obviously, that that goes counter to the to the approach that Lucien Favre usually has. But who knows? The Champions League is is usually um, these games are usually very um, even. I I think both teams will be on on a similar level. So it really comes down to the details. And I'm I'm very excited to it, for it, especially because Dortmund go into that game with the maximum amount of pressure. So you can go into that as a spectator a little bit calmer as well, and then hope for the best. So yeah, but um, it's going to be weird to see Dortmund again without an out and out striker. So um, yeah, it's interesting how much. And into how much trouble they they get now, but I I do wonder if if gets a place so Inter can scout him <laughs> or not. So um yeah, but we can only speculate, Matthias. I don't have anything further to say on Inter, and there's a whole nother guess. So maybe we should just end it here. I I agree, and I will agree with your score prediction. I also predict a one all draw. All right, wonderful. Then uh, you can tell our listeners how to get in touch with you on Twitter and. Uh, after that, there will be the segment with Nima Taveli. And you can find me on Twitter at Matiasuk, uh, and you can tell me why I am dead wrong about Akanji, even though I was dead right about Birki.
Welcome back. It's now me and Nima Tavali, who is the founder of sempreinter.com. That should be your source for all things Inter, and especially if you uh, want to check out what the opponent is up to, um, go there. He is also written for Di Marzio and Calcio Mercato and has uh, had exclusive interviews for Goal.com. Nima, it's very great to have you on here to shed further light on Inter Milan. Welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks a lot. It's a good, good to be with you. I've uh, already been on your podcast yesterday where yes. I've only talked about Borussia Dortmund, but um, now I think it's uh, time to put the focus a little bit on Inter Milan. And first, for the people who do not watch Inter that much, um, can you briefly describe their style of play under Antonio Conte, the, um, the formation and systems that he prefers and... Uh, Yeah, overall, their their league form, which uh, is uh, quite splendid, but uh, you know, there, there's always a bigger story behind the stats and the uh, league points. So uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, everybody. I mean, Antonio Conte is is a player is 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 pretty much as a, the same kind of coach he was he is as he was as a player. He it's 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 focused on teamwork. Uh, dedication and also discipline. Everyone in the team has to. Everyone in the in in his team in his lineup has to be has to sacrifice themselves for the team. They have to put the team ahead. He he demands 110 percent, 365 days per year of all players, no matter how it is. Uh, but you know that sounds positive, but it can also be to his detriment. And I'll get to that a little bit later. But he plays a three-five-two. That's some played. I mean, he started by playing four-two-four in his early coaching the uh, coaching days. He adapted pretty quickly when he uh, came to Juventus, um, and he, he changed that to three-five-two. Um, he he plays extremely high press, uh, but but the press is, is 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 obviously, as everyone knows, who understands a little bit about tactics, it has to be as a unit. You have to press as a unit, and he demands with millimeter precision how the team presses uh, as a unit. Uh, if one per, if one player is out of sync, he will lose his his mind uh, literally on the sidelines uh, and and probably and also after the game when scolding the player in question um, may, so may it, I interrupt it, you right there yeah. because um, Dortmund obviously had Peter Bosch as a coach not too long ago and he also was very keen on on an extremely high press and uh, of course as you just said uh, you know the, the entire team working together is a must Now, um, I'm going off who scored, but they're usually pretty precise in their characterizations of teams. And Inter's biggest weakness, according to who scored, is that they uh, fail to uh, use the offside trap. Um, I, I assume that's down to them playing with a very high line, right? But, exactly. Um, uh, I've seen them in the Champions League uh, so far. I haven't seen them in Serie A yet. Mm. And I have to say, I didn't see that high pressing that you describe right now. As no. much as as uh, in, on the European stage. No, uh, I, I mean the thing is uh, the high press. It's it's not a high press. It's a it's an it's an intense press. I mean against Barcelona, which I think is the game you're referring to, um, he, he didn't press uh, that high at all. It was actually a but but the intense uh, the, the pressure the, the press was very intense and it had to come as a unit because obviously if you press press against Barcelona high up the pitch, you leave. <laughs> 
a, a space, you know, an infinity of space for them to play behind you, and then you lose 10, 12 nil. So he, he's he's tactically very astute in that, uh, in, in the certain the term, in the sense that he prepares really well for the games. But the problem with 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 the Inter have had, and that's why they haven't really adapted entirely to Conte's style of football, is the fact that when from the 75th minute and onwards when the players are tired when they can't maintain the same concentration and press as they have the previous hour and a half then once the uh, attacker once the attacking team plays past that press pretty easily because the rest of the team isn't in tune then it's basically an open you know it, it's out it, it's an autostrada to attack or um, what do you go, what do you what do you call that in germany it's um <laughs> yeah I, I, I know what you mean but uh, this basically i i assume is also the narrative of the uh, last game against sassuolo right where inter was up for it's, one it's and not then... just it's it's not just it's not just against sassuolo it's the same thing you saw against the uh, juventus uh, and also we've seen it in other games in all of the games so far this season in 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 uh, except for lecce the opening game uh, inter they 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 have adapted really quickly to his style of football but they're not entirely there yet uh, much quicker than anyone ex expected or myself included that thinking that they would understand how he wants to play but they've adapted adapted really quickly um, but uh, a big part of that is is how the midfield is formed and the midfield of Brozovic, Sensi and Barella who are the key key components in, in this uh, contest too if you will and when you are missing someone like Sensi who gives uh, uh, Who, who offers a, compl a, a different, a different choice, a different uh, option together with Brozovic. I mean, because Brozovic is supposed to be the regista, the deep-lying midfield playmaker. But with Sensi, the good thing with Sensi is that th they they can both. Uh, Sensi can also play in that role. And a lot of the time, what makes Inter so unpredictable when Sensi played was that they they switched positions a lot because both of them run. A lot. Brozovic is the player who runs the most in the Serie A, followed by Barella, the other midfielder. But he's not—he doesn't have those playmaking qualities, although he's technically very gifted. So, it, so when Sensi isn't there, you you notice it requires much more from the fullbacks or the wingbacks, Candreva and Asamoa, who have, who under Conte never stop running, and. <laughs> and against Sassuolo, for example, you had Biragi on the left instead of Asamoah, who was rested for the Dortmund game. You have instead um, he, he he could he could manage that. But when Candreva came off for someone like Valentino Lazaro, who, who who clearly hasn't adapted to how Conte wants to play, there is a hole the size of the black hole in Inter's midfield, and that's why the play, teams that can that have the technical quality to play past that press they can easily attack. And what you saw, Inter concede two, three goals in 10 minutes. And that's something that Conte has been, is working hard on. So for Borussia's sake, I, it's unlucky that uh, for them that Sassuolo took advantage of this because now it's, this is something that Conte is aware of and he will make sure that this does not happen against the Borussia side who, in my opinion, are one of the best counter-attacking teams in the world. They probably are. Um, though I, I have to say, I don't know how good Dortmund's counter-attack will be because their squad will be shuffled around quite a bit because they will be without Marco Reus. Um, but nevertheless, they will still have uh, Achraf Hakimi, Torgen Hazard, Jaden Sancho and, and Julian Brandt, who are lightning quick. Mario Götze is a player that is not quick himself, but he is one of the best experts when it comes to facilitating a counter-attack and uh, basically instigating it in, in a way to release the the ball and and release other players and he has a 
immaculate timings. So I assume that Dortmund's counterattack should be very good against Inter. However, as you just alluded to, Dortmund struggle immensely if they're pressed intense. It's uh, been one of their, their biggest uh, problems so far because Lucien Favre has um, neglected, let's say, a little bit the, the positional play. And with that, Dortmund always have problems when, when they have to build triangles on the field and uh, have passing outlets. So Interfence, I think, can be very hopeful that uh, their intense pressing uh, should should actually really uh, work well against Dortmund. I, I certainly wasn't aware that Inter press very intense because I'm, I don't know, probably the uh, game against Slavia Prague uh, really burned itself into my mind and that was just a very yeah. lackluster performance. But I guess that's no, also it was, not, it was the, awful. not, not it was the awful. standard. And, and, <laughs> no, no, no. And Conte apologized after the game for that. That's the first thing he said. He said that that's what's made him so popular at Inter. I mean, despite his Juventus past and all that stuff, is the fact that he doesn't he, he's very honest. He doesn't excuse. He doesn't blame. After that game, he came out and he apologized, saying, I didn't prepare well enough. Therefore, the team wasn't prepared well enough. Therefore, this is not the kind of football we want to play. And I want to apologize. And since then, we've not seen anything like that. So so I think uh, if, if, if you're just going by the Slavia Prague game, then then I can understand why why you would think, well, what's all the hype about? Because that was, without a doubt, the worst performance of the season that I mean, it's one of the worst performances I've seen Inter play uh, in a very long time. Um, so, because because it was completely, they were disjointed, they looked frustrated, they looked completely hapless, they looked clueless, and and unable to cope with with whatever Slavia Prague, who, who played very similarly to how Inter usually play, a very high intensive press. Um, but but uh, but this is um, but with Conte, the, the good thing about Conte is, um, is is that he he's he's very stubborn, but he's also very self-critical. Um, he 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 can he has no problems at least inwardly seeing the holes and the problems that 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 exist in a in a dressing room in, in both tactically and psychologically, and he's so and he's absolutely brilliant at addressing those deficiencies uh, with pinpoint accuracy. Um, the pro, at least I mean especially in his first season, uh, famously his first season at U- Juventus, he won the title uh, and at Chelsea as well. So. He's in that sense. He's he's really he's really a good good great coach for Inter to have. He's a very necessary coach for Inter to have. But I mean I, I mean if I when I look at the when I look at the Borussia Mönchengladbach, so Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, when I look at the Borussia Dortmund squad, I mean I just see world class players pretty much in every position. And you say you're missing so many players, and you are. But Inter are missing Stefano Sensi, who in my who has been the best player in the Serie A this season. He misses the game because of an injury. Um, you have uh, Inter are missing Danilo D'Ambrosio, who is the natural replacement to Antonio Candreva, who 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 won't be able to play. 90 minutes against Borussia. I just can't imagine that uh, because, because of simply because of the demanding role that the wing backs in the contest system have to adhere to. So um, no, I, I'd say both these teams are. It's a very difficult game to predict. Yeah, for um, our listeners, Candreva's 32 years old. That's, that's yeah, probably yeah. Yeah, he he is, but it's it's also the fact that, I mean, he Candreva is one of Antonio Conte's favorite players because he 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 understands and interprets the role of the full back, a wing back in a Conte system, more better than anyone has ever have ever done. 
um, any any wing back he's ever had. I mean, I, th- I think Marco Alonso in Chelsea was was the uh, was the was the second was a player after that. Um, and and both of these players are players that outside of a Conte system are have been very criticised to put it diplomatically for being uh, very um, for 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 not being consistent in how they perform. So uh, no, for me it's a very difficult game to 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 predict because I think both of these teams um, are are have problems. And both of these teams are struggling a little bit in form, are missing important players. But but I, I somehow I just feel that the 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 width the depth of the Dortmund squad is is somehow some I I give Dortmund a little 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 extra uh, little tip in their favor and also because of the fact that Dortmund don't have to win this game Dortmund have to draw if in, if Dortmund draw then Inter have to come to the Westfalia Stadion must winning and that is something that you know when you when you attack just like this game so when Dortmund can just sit back and attack into space. I mean, the the, the in in Italy they say uh, the scammy, the tactical the, the the tactical setup of how Dortmund attack, no matter who plays, lethal, absolutely lethal, and and I think that's why I'd give a little bit of advantage to Dortmund. But I wouldn't be surprised if this ended in a nil-nil draw or a one-one draw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matthias Su, who I talked to before, he also said this will probably not be a goal fest. And and uh, I I agree. I I really do wonder um, how Dortmund centre back pairing. Uh, first of all, how they will be composed because um, against Gladbach, Dortmund played with Julian Weigel and Mats Hummels, and um, that's where my next question goes. Because you have a very astute pairing of uh, Romulo Lukaku and uh, Lautaro Martinez. Um, mm. How do they approach their pressing? You said it's very intense, but it's also not too high. So well, it depends. It depends. Obviously, on who it's playing. always situ- situational, right? So, but yeah. um, do you think they will put a lot of pressure on Dortmund center backs, or do you think they will allow them like five, ten meters of 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 space for the most part of the game? Where does this pressing usually start to? pick up its intensity against against the i mean it depends and, and and that's that's a really interesting question i personally think that given the fact that dortmund are so damn good in their counterattacks i think there is no way that conte will go gung-ho and pressing pretty much in the penalty penalty area i think they will give them five ten meters to kind of invite them a little bit on because they do not i think they'll approach the game very similarly to how they approached the barcelona game and knowing full well that if if dortmund pass pass through their first press you don't want to concede too much space to attack into so i i expect a similar approach to the one they did against barcelona actually and that's the one they used against juventus i mean it's very interesting he 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 has he 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 has two ways. If you against the the so-called lesser teams, poorer teams, he presses them almost at the you know at their goalkeeper. Uh, but but when he plays these better teams, then then he concedes uh, five ten meters just to balance the team so that the team doesn't feel stretched. Yeah, I I was wondering exactly about that scenario because. As I said before, Mats Hummels is absolutely lethal if you award him too much space, and especially against teams that, that like to press in a very compact way, even if it's a midfield pressing. He has yeah. this lethal diagonal ball, and uh, if you play in a 3-5-2, there's always the space behind the left mm. fullback and the uh, left right, center half. Yeah. 
and, yeah. and Dortmund have Torgen Hazard, Jaden Sancho, and especially Achraf Hakimi, who can both run into these spaces and and, mm. and get the ball. Um, so this this is one of the ways I see Dortmund to create a lot of chances. So it will be probably be very important for Martinez to actually close down on Hummels to to not allow Absolutely. him. Absolutely. And he's very good at that. And I think, actually, I'd like to revise what I said. I think <laughs> given that, no, because because uh, when you said that, you remind about Hummels, he reminded me so much of Bonucci because they're very similar in the sense that they're not very fast, but they they have an amazing feeling and technique in their feet to, to play these diagonal passes. Bonucci and, and Hummels are probably the best in the world when to, to in doing that. So I, I think I think that the, I think they will I think that is the kind of press he will use the same against Juventus. Um, because because that that because of simply because of the technical qualities that Borussia Dortmund have. Um, so I think I think the, the, the Juventus game is one that uh, is more closer than the Barcelona game. Uh, because the, obviously both both Juventus and Dortmund play much more direct than than Barcelona, who play in sideways and triangles until the cows come home. So <laughs> well, actually, so, uh, I I don't know how much you've seen of Dortmund, but Dortmund this season haven't been all that direct. They've actually been very let, let's call it patient. But uh, Lucien Favre likes for his team to be very risk averse and and rather play another pass backward to to instead of playing it into the final third. Say. So um, if you want to be positive, you can call it deliberate. Uh, and if you want to be <laughs> negative, you just call it scared football. Um, so um, sometimes don't want to try to keep a lot of possession. Um, but I don't know how, how they do that in the Champions League because Lucien Fargo is also happy for, for other teams to have the ball and then counterattack. So, you know, Dortmund could be playing a little bit more on the counter as they did away to Slavia Prague where they were not really keen on, on keeping the ball for long sustained periods. So, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. There There's a, a lot of uh, factors that, that can uh, decide the game in one way or another, um, just given on, on the tactical outsets and approaches by each coach. So um, I'm very much here for that. Um, but I would like you to expand a little bit on uh, the replacement for Sensi and how that changes the, the game for, for Dortmund, because I'm looking at that midfield of, of uh, Brozovic, Barela and whoever else is playing next to him and Dortmund with with Witzel and Delaney will probably be outnumbered. So that that's going to be interesting. I, I think it will be Vecino. I think he's I think the reason he played Gagliardini on the weekend was to play was to allow Vecino Uh, time uh, to, to be fit and he, this is something he said before the last international break that he's going to rotate much more and he has to because otherwise these play that, that's why Sensi got injured he's played every single minute pretty much so he knows he has to rotate and I think that's why he played Gagliardini uh, I think uh, for me it's Vecino and Vecino that that presents itself a little bit of a problem because Stefano Sensi usually the, what's so good about him and his movement and him and Brozovic they 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 interchange between the deep lying uh, mid, midfield uh, playmaker role and the and 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 a, and a somewhat more advanced role to the to the left or right, to the left or the right in the sense that they almost become like a link up player like a number 10 Uh, inverted almost uh, uh, when they play, uh, when Sensi plays. With Vecino, now Vecino is a different animal in the sense that he's very, he's very, he's very dynamic. His move, he moves a lot, but his passing is not good. And what he likes to do 
is he's not a playmaker. He can't create play. He doesn't have that those qualities. But with the qualities he has is that he's very good at running in from deep into the opposition's box, and 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 creating movement that way. Now, when when you when you're playing against the Dortmund that is defending deep or or playing defensive, if you like, um, for or a counter-attacking kind of style, that's something that 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 inter- if if Conte can get Vecino to interpret the role in the correct way, that will cause Dortmund a lot of trouble. But having said that, Vecino is the kind of player who, so far, I've not seen him give five consistent good performances in a row. He plays good one game, then he's awful in three games then he's good for one decent in one crap for five so it's 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 um it's but having said Mahmoud Ahu to yeah but but the difference but this is the weird this is where it gets weird at the same time Vecino has this incredible ability to score in important big games. I mean, against Tottenham, he scored the winning goal last season in the Champions League. In the Derby, he scored the winning goal to take Inter to, to the Champions League. He has that ability to, to turn up at games, even for just, just that mom, individual moment, and score go, important goals. That's what he's done so far, and that's kind of protected him from the worst criticism, um, because other than that, I mean, if he didn't score those goals... This guy would be out on his ass a long time ago. I mean, it's, it's, it's no doubt about it. So, so I, I, I think for Inter, Inter has to hope that Vecino interprets the role in the way that, that Conte wants him to do. That way, because as you said, Inter will be outnumbering uh, Dortmund centrally. They need to retain possession there. And they need to be able to play it past, uh, um, play it past the press that Dortmund will, without a doubt, put on Inter's midfield. Looking at Inter's backline, first of all, who is the most lethal player in terms of build-up play from that backline, and and who is the worst? Uh, I think it's it's going to be Skrina, Vrij, and, and Godin, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, Skriniar is probably going to play to the left uh, in the back three, Diego Gooding to the right, and Stefan de Frey in the middle. Now, what, what uh, so far, it's been really interesting. Um, that's a really the, the Hummels role or the Bonucci role that when, when teams are defending deep, um, that has been given to whoever has the ball in the back three. Okay. Uh, Diego Diego Godin has has thrown in some amazing crosses that, that have landed inter points. Stefan de Frey did it this past weekend against Sassuolo, and and Milan Skriniar is is the only one that's been struggling in that back line to the left. And I think that because it's not his natural position, he's right footed, and also he, uh, you know, before getting Conte, I was very critical because this is the guy that Inter should build their team around. Milan Skriniar is Inter's future, and I'm not too sure he will be able to adapt to a to a three three man defense. But he's a team loyal team player, and he will play to that defense to that left side, and he will give it everything he has. That there between him and Asamoah is where I think Dortmund, if they give if Inter don't press Hummels enough, that's where they can hurt. Exactly like you said. But I don't. I don't expect Skriniar to be the build-up guy. But De Frey and Gudin for sure. And that is the, that's something that Conte has deliberately wanted to create, the same way that he wanted Sensi and Brozovic to be able to create play. He wants to make it really difficult for teams to pressure one person. You know what I mean? So that yes. he, he wants he wants all of these players to be so good at everything, so that no matter who they press. 
well, if you put if you man man mark, for example, De Frey, well, then you have Godin who can throw in throwing good crosses. So it's it, that, that's 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 how it's been so far. So it depends a little bit on 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 on, but but the main threat is De Frey, his passing and his 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 technical ability on the ball, his read of the game is just. I I don't understand. I mean, given the troubles that De Ligt has had at Juventus adapting, I don't understand how Stefan de Frey is not playing next to Van Dijk in the Dutch national team. It, it is an enigma to me because the guy is just simply phenomenal. Well, I have zero idea about the Dutch national team. All I know is that they always had <laughs> very weird decisions in their in their uh, in their player management. Let, let's put it this way: there, there was had, always had, upheaval. Uh, I had a German friend a long time ago when I was growing up in school. He was German, and he told me, um, he told me, do you know why? This was after the 1990 World Cup, and I was like nine, ten years old. And he, he said, do you know why the Dutch have such long necks? I was like, no, because when they're kids, their parents lift them up and point to Germany and say, that's where the world champions live. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to the game before <laughs> this escalates any further. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> who who of the three, though, struggles the most defensively? Because we've just talked about their, their uh, on-the-ball skills. Uh, what about their off-the-ball skills? Uh, where, where are Inter's defensive problems and what what moments really uh, are those that that struggle you also you, you already described when uh, inter basically fall off the pace and then uh, you know the the tactical structure collapses but are there other situations where they struggle let's say set pieces or so no set pieces inter are very sound uh they're very they're, they're good but but i would say that diego godin uh, i mean and i mean especially godin he struggles for pace And he, he, that is that is that that's that's an angle. As as I mean, as you alluded to before, the 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 wings. When you play a three five two, the space behind the wings, and if you have a three man defense, you need to have quick central defenders. Um, for for Milan Skriniar's strength is not his pace or speed; it's his incredible ability to read the game. The same goes for Diego Godin. So I think there is if you can get those, if you can get your speedy wingers these lightning-paced players to go attack the space against these two guys behind the wingbacks, then then you, then then Borussia will really, really trouble Inter and cause them all sorts of problems. Yeah, I would say usually Dortmund run these roads a lot even if there are players in, in that area just because they know they A, have a speed advantage over most fullbacks and and B, because they like to cut inside from there. So this is usually the space Dortmund attack regardless of the opponent's setup. But, um, there, I mean, the, the 3-5-2 really favors Inter in, in terms of the, the central midfield. And, and I worry about that a lot. But on the other hand, really, the, these, these spaces uh, behind the fullbacks is where I see Dortmund really can can hurt Inter. So um, it's it's going to be interesting. But the problem with these... Um, spaces, the, the the pass that goes into the space usually comes from the center. So if Inter are able to prevent it, then Dortmund's main weapon will not uh, work all that well. 
And also, uh, for me, it's also a fact of the fact, you know, with Paco Alcacer, is he is he missing the game? Yes, he's Isn't out. He missing? Yeah, yeah, he's out. So that's the only natural number nine you have in the squad. Yes. So who else? I mean, that that to me is a is, is a problem for for Dortmund. I think that you are lacking a natural killer in in the box, and I think in Champions League games you need to have someone who scores the goals reliably. You know, um, the, the universe works in very funny ways and Dortmund <laughs> were obviously tr- very keen. They, they were trying very hard to sign Lautaro Martinez back in the day, but he joined Inter. So um, usually when Dortmund make a mistake, which I think is a very <laughs> big mistake, like that they, they don't get punish, punished once but twice. So I expect him to be on the score sheet. <laughs> But to be honest, I, I understand that's that's a classic thing. But with Lautaro, there was never gonna be, he was never gonna go to any other club other than Inter. You have to remember that at Racing Avionada, the sporting director is Diego Milito for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean, it, it, there was no way that they were gonna let him go. Javier Zanetti, Inter's vice president, and the treble legend Diego Milito is their sporting director. That there, there was no dire, there was no discussion. That if Inter wanted Lautaro, he was going to go there. I, there was no no money in the world would have would have been able to 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 prevent that deal from happening. Yeah, you're you're probably right there. Got that nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they're best friends. I mean, these guys. Uh, I mean, Mourinho revealed a week like a couple of weeks ago that all of them have a WhatsApp chat where they just talk all the time. I mean, all of the treble guys from 2010. I mean, they they're a family pretty much. They these guys absolutely love each other. So. So no, I I I I I don't think Dortmund should feel too bad about that one, that particular signing. All right, but I, I actually have... didn't know that, so that's good. I feel so much better already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, there there was no way that was gonna. I mean, if Inter wanted Lautaro, that 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 was gonna happen, and and they did want him, so uh, the, you shouldn't feel bad about that at all. But um, I, I have to say, Mario Götze is is. I mean, we, I, I, the, the term football IQ. For me, he, he embodies it. Uh, he has so much. In, he's such an intelligent player, and he can create things that aren't there. And 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 I I hope that he has a bad day because if he has a good day, then Inter are in a world of trouble. Yeah, he probably will have a good day uh, <laughs> if if he plays because uh, yeah, Mario if he Götze, plays, if he plays, this, th- this he is plays. exactly the kind of match that Mario Götze usually thrives in because he has spaces yeah. to play into. So um, yeah, I'm. I would hope that Favre plays him, but he could opt for a double front two or whatever of uh, Torgen Hazard and, and Julian Brandt, for example. That could also happen and then have Hakimi and Sancho as, as the wingers. So um, we we are and sometimes the- baffled here at the Yellow Wallpot why he gets so many uh, so, so little playing time. But uh, I, I really do hope that Götze plays. But I mean, if he, the thing is, if he does play, and he and he will probably perform really well. This is a player that, given his contract situation at Dortmund, could end up at Inter. I know, I know for a fact that Inter are very, very interested in signing a number ten player, uh, and the candidates are Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, uh, it's uh, Ivan Rakitic, and also Mario Götze. And and Mario Götze, I mean, if he can, if they can find a way to sort out his health problems, I would welcome him with open arms because he is a fantastic player I, I i really admire him yeah also a big argument that inter probably have on their side is that they actually would play him in a position that's most suitable yeah. for him because yeah. right now yeah. him playing as a number nine 
is not exactly where he sees himself as a player. I don't no. know if he if he's no. the the best number ten. I think he's more of a ten eight hybrid um, because yeah. of the the lack of pace. Um, but uh, he can cover all these positions very well. And uh, yeah, so um, for for his sake, maybe maybe he will make that move. I think his his wife would appreciate it too. I don't think she's too keen <laughs> about Dortmund. Um, Milan has certainly more to offer here, but. Um, <laughs> you mean that Milan Milan is the sexier city to live in if you're a wag. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. Uh, that was one of the struggles that Inter had with getting rid of uh, Juan Danara and offloading Marco Mauro Icardi was the fact that she was very iffy about moving to all other cities except for Paris. Paris is fantastic, so so she was okay with that. But um no, and, and it's really interesting that you mentioned that he is a 10 number 8 hybrid. That's exactly the kind of midfielder that uh that Conte wants. Uh so it it, it will be a very interesting uh, game. I mean if he plays and gives one of those tri- classical Mario Götze performances where he's simply stunning, then then it wouldn't surprise me if if Conte went into the dressing room and tells uh, Inter CEO Beppe Marotta to Go get that guy for me next summer. <laughs> yeah, you know, or in the winter if Dortmund actually do want to transfer fee. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, that that would be very heartbreaking. So I don't want to uh, discuss it any further right now. No, he's already he's already left you guys once for Bayern Munich as well. Jesus, that was that must have been like a drop kick to the to the nuts. Basically, yeah. That. I think I think for for a lot of uh, fans my age, this was probably the the worst day as as a fan just because that was uh, uh when when Dortmund still you know that there, there was a real fraternity within the team and uh, you thought they would stick together and then Mario Götze was like the first to to uh yeah put that knife into the into the heart so um you know every <laughs> other transfer wasn't wasn't as bad then like when Lewandowski or Hummels left wasn't wasn't even half as bad so um yeah, the guts no, going to Bayern was was probably one of the worst uh, in in modern Dortmund history. But Inter, uh, it's funny for Dort. I mean, for, for Dortmund, most Inter fans my age uh, and older will will have very fond memories of Dortmund simply because of the fact that with Otmar Hitzfeld, you guys <laughs> destroyed probably the best Juventus side of all time in that Champions League final, and Lars Ricken scoring one of the most, prob- one, I mean, the second or third most beautiful goal in a Champions League final. Um, obviously, the the Zidane and Bale goals, I hold a little bit higher, but... Yes. Uh, no, but, but, but uh, no, so I, I remember that final so well, um, and, and Karl-Heinz Riedler scoring those two goals. No, it's it, it was, so so there are fond memories um, of, uh, so, of, of Dortmund, you know, defeating Juventus is, is something that Inter fans, I mean, a lot of Inter fans, if they have a, if they like a team in Germany, it's probably Dortmund because of that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there there is a lot of uh, uh, Dortmund fans that that like Inter, so uh, maybe maybe there's a bit of a fan friendship there. I'm I'm not yeah. too much uh, in in the know about these two clubs, to be honest. So I I'm I'm not going to judge it, but uh, but there's th- also there's the potential. fact that there's also the fact that Schalke is Inter's boogie team number one <laughs> in Europe. So in whenever I mean we 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 cannot play Schalke we 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 cannot because it doesn't matter if if they are in Zweite Bundesliga and we are reigning Champions League winners we will lose against them they are the ultimate bogey team so we don't we don't like Schalke every time we play them they they just cause mayhem for us so so I think that, that there's that aspect as well 
<laughs> All right, fair enough. I think that's a very good uh, time to wrap it up because Dortmund do play Schalke next week, and uh, I have to say Dortmund haven't fared too well uh, against them either in in recent past. Even though they usually are the towering favorites, but in the Revier Derby, that uh, sadly does not matter much. So um, this is another thing for maybe you to keep in mind that Dortmund have a much bigger game next ah, Saturday. So that's important. Yes. That's that's very important, and I, I I'm glad you brought that up because when Inter played uh, Barcelona that week, they played Juventus on the Saturday too. So these things matter. I mean, it really matters. And and as I said, for, for even if Dortmund were to, you know, as long as Dortmund don't lose against Inter, they're fine. So I think they will probably try to go in and kill off the game. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, this Dortmund team is very inconsistent, and you never really know what <laughs> you're going to get. So um uh. I think 1-1 is a good prediction, but it, it, it can really go both ways. That's the, that's the beauty about the Champions League and especially against those, about these two teams, because this is really, I think, where, where the group is being decided. I don't think Slavia Prague have a Absolutely. chance to, to finish third or fourth, uh, third or second, and, and Barcelona will probably win the group. So it's, it's going to be in those two games where Dortmund inter, uh, yeah, tossed it out. And I, I mean, into dropping points to Slavia Prague is, is a massive disadvantage. For sure, for sure. And the, the, that, that disadvantage, given how the second place works uh, in terms of direct meet, direct encounters, that, that's why this game is so important for Inter. Inter have to win. It's just that simple. If Inter don't win this, I wouldn't be surprised if Inter just don't punt it because, <laughs> you know, for, for, for Conte to finish fourth, is better than to finish third because then he can focus on the league uh, and mount a serious challenge because Inter only one point behind Juventus this season. Yeah, I mean, you have uh, won eight out of nine games, which is amazing. So um, yeah. m- must be annoying to still be second uh, with this kind of record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, and, and 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 that's because Juventus. Sorry, I mean this is the, the Juventus are just too damn good uh, right now. I mean the their squad depth is unrivaled in Europe, if you ask me. They they can play they can play two starting 11s that are equally as good, and and it's it's insane. The, this is something that Sarri, their coach, has critic has been very critical of in in the in, before the season. But this is actually turning out to be a blessing in disguise, as long as the dressing room seems to get along, which they seem to do. He can play however he wants to, however he wants to. Sorry, and, and have fresh legs and rotate, and and that's something that he um, that, that he appreciates, and that's why, I for me in the Champions League this season, it's Man City, Juventus, Bayern Munich, and uh, Paris Saint Germain are the teams I I think will will battle it out. Yeah, we'll see about Bayern because they are not as strong as some people think they are. So. Um... <laughs> no, I don't think they'll win the Bundesliga. I think they, it's quite evident that it's not working. But it's, for some reason, it really works in, in, in Europe, uh, as we saw against Tottenham. Yes. Uh, for, so, um, no, I, I, mean, I, for, I think for Bayern, the, the, the focus is probably more on the Champions League anyway, because they've won yeah. the Bundesliga yeah. seven times in a row. So they, their focus yeah. is really, really is on the Champions League. So you make a good yeah. point there. Anyway, before yeah. I announce Bayern as, as Champions League favorites, I think it's, it's a good time to leave it here. Nima, please uh, tell our listeners how to uh, uh, find you on Twitter and also if they want to learn more about Inter, since uh, you write everything in English, uh, how, how to read that content. 
Well, uh, if they want to go on the site, sem- sempreinter.com, uh, they can follow us on Twitter, at uh, sempreintercom. We're on Twitter, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. And if they want to follow me, it's at Nima, T-A-V-R-O-O-D. Awesome. Then uh, all I have left to say is thank you for joining me for this very uh, in-depth discussion about the game. Um, and uh, you can find me at Stefan Butzko if you want to subscribe to the show in all various ways please uh, do that on itunes stitcher soundcloud and spotify amazon google whatever your podcatcher <laughs> is the rss feed is also available on the yellowwall.net where you find our written content if you want to follow us on twitter our yellowwallpod handle is at yellowwallpod so is it on facebook so thanks again everyone for listening we shall be back on thursday late thursday with the um yeah discussion about the inter match and obviously the big preview ahead of the Rivier derby which i'm already very anxious about so <laughs> as always thank you for listening and goodbye